Welcome to Behind the Screen, a bonus interview series from Forward Movement, featuring author conversations with our managing editor, Rochelle Thompson. Hi, welcome to another edition of Behind the Screen. And today we're with Alice Reyes Montes, the author of the March issue of Forward Day by Day. Hi, Alice, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm, do I'm doing well, thank you. Great, I'm so glad you're with us and look forward to talking with you. So you're our March author, um, really looking forward to reading your meditations and your reflections. Tell us a little bit about yourself so that we know a little bit more about you as we begin to read. Sure. So. I am a musician based here in uh, Sugarland, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston, Texas. I currently am just working as a private lessons teacher online, and I also do a bit of uh, musical offerings for um, different churches whenever they have requests out. Um, and then occasionally I'll also do some virtual choir projects as well, both for myself and also for, um, again, for different churches or different organizations around, um, around the world, basically. Um, that's basically it for right now um, with the pandemic going on. Right. A lot of things are different these days, but I'm glad that uh, you still have an opportunity to share your gifts and your passion. I, as I was reading the meditations, I kept thinking, this is like a Renaissance man. Like he, he is a musician and artist and is learning Chinese and gardens. And tell us a little bit about all of those, those interests and what draws you to those creative pursuits. Sure. Thank you. Um, so for, I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of hard to to kind of remember which ones I've I've put in there. Um, I kind of, especially right now during this pandemic, I've been trying to really focus on a lot of my uh, creative endeavors, just because those are the only things I can kind of keep my mind off the fact that um, I don't have you know a, a, like a um, a lot of work to do at the moment. Um, so it's the best way for me to keep my mind occupied and in my uh, my hands occupied as well for the most part. Um, let's see, like for studying Chinese, I've been studying for about eight years. Um, it's all been self-study and I've traveled to China a few times um, in the past. And I've also been fortunate enough to make some pretty uh, close friends as well um, through my connections of studying Chinese. Uh, when I was in graduate school, actually one of my uh, studio mates was actually uh, Chinese. And we so we would see each other every day and he and we would practice quite a bit together. Um, and that really helped me improve a lot. Um, and then there was also a very active um, Chinese learning group as well in, in Chicago, because that's where I went to do my master's. And uh, that's, again, just really what helped me kind of um, launch, I guess, in terms of, of my studies. And um, right now I've been focusing a little bit more on learning literary Chinese, um, been studying a lot of the, the classical Chinese poetry, which is a bit different than modern Mandarin, which is what I've studied. Um, and then I'm also, now I'm trying to pick up uh, Chinese calligraphy a bit more, especially because I, I want to make a few, um, so traditionally for uh, Chinese New Year, uh, uh, Chinese, I know that Chinese and Japanese people do this. I'm not sure about uh, Vietnamese. Well, I know Vietnamese people do this as well, but they do it in, um, in Vietnamese um, rather than in literary Chinese. Uh, basically they'll they'll make these red columns that, that decorate their doors. 
Um, so they'll have, uh, usually it's a rhyming couplet or, or um, two different aspects of a same idea. Um, so I've been kind of trying to uh, practice my calligraphy so I can make um, at least some for myself, but also for a few friends. I have a few Chinese friends here in Houston that um, I think at least they would kind of appreciate it. Um, usually there's, uh, when I mentioned it to one of my friends, he actually, um, he listed off the four, the four main components, which is left, right, and then top, usually there's like a main idea at the very top and then the middle of the door you usually put the word spring um because the new year is called the spring festival so uh, that's been <laughs> that's been something that's can, been occupying my time a bit more um I'm trying to think i guess the other big the other big one that's not music related is um gardening uh, that's been another big one for me um probably for the past like month or so i've been slacking a little bit because uh it's the winter and most of my plants are either are, most of them are, are dormant basically um i'm really fortunate to be living in suburbia so i actually have access to a really huge yard um and so we have i, I have lots of room for many different plants outside and um the good thing is when i have plants that are mostly either native or are part of this same sort of climate um, zone um, basically they can survive uh, the weather just as it comes and not, I don't have to give them too much extra care um, and especially during the winter that's when the deciduous trees are you know they're going to sleep they've lost their leaves um, and so I don't have to do too much with them um, but I do have a lot of house plants as well and so I've been kind of dealing with them um, a lot of them are growing quite a bit because I keep it fairly warm in in that room um, and it's naturally very humid because it's not sealed very well and it's very humid here in Houston so um, they've they still think it's spring in there so they're 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 kind of growing like crazy um, and so I've I've been kind of tending to them and um, probably within the next two or three weeks, because actually a lot of our trees are already coming out of dormancy, um, even though winter um, kind of comes and goes really roughly for the next three or four weeks. Usually once we're in March, we're, we're clearly in spring, but um, during February, spring sort of has its beginnings. So a lot of the, a lot of the natural trees are already coming out of dormancy. We've got lots of um, leaves that are starting to come on, which is very scary because it's about to freeze again. So yeah. um, it's usually really unhealthy for trees to come out of dormancy before, before freeze. Um, so, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to um, plant some more seeds outside. I want to I want to grow more herbs and um, probably a few more vegetables as well. Now that I've I've gone through a lot of trials and errors for the past two years, so um, hopefully this year I'll have even more crops to to um, harvest. That's wonderful. Well, I guess that's one one thing about the pandemic is that you have a different type of time on your hands to explore some of these. Uh, creative pursuits. Well, tell me about your writing process. Um, this is your first time writing for Forward Day by Day, and um, there are challenges in writing um, in this format. It's a pretty strict uh, word length and focus on the daily uh, lectionary. So tell me about your writing process and writing for Forward Day by Day, and what did you find challenging, and what did you find life-giving? Sure. Um, so 
I guess I came to it with kind of two different um, bouts of experience. Uh, the first one being that, um, and it's not really worth advertising right now because I haven't really added much to it, but I have a I have a blog that I've called Openly Episcopalian where I've done many different reflections. Um, probably for, for several months in a row, I was actually doing um, a lot of, I don't know what you call it, I guess reflections on the daily lectionary um, in blog posts. So um, that was one way that, that, that was one thing where it was just like, okay, so I'm going to do some, you know, I'm going to be writing my reflections on um, the daily lectionary and picking out different verses and stuff like that to kind of expand upon. Um, the difference being that the blog posts are quite a bit longer than right. uh, the forward day by day ones. Um, but for me, that was still um, kind of a jumping off point. Um, on top of that, it's just um, quite honestly, I've you know I come from a very a very Episcopalian family um, on a regular basis. Uh, right now, our, our core of our family that lives here is um, my mom. Um, Sandra Montes, who works, um, you know, she she does a lot of things in, in the church. Um, and then afterwards, my grandfather, Alejandro Montes, and my grandma, Laura Montes. Um, my grandfather's a retired priest, but he still um, has his, um, he still has a Bible study and, and, a, um, and a virtual mass that he leads every every week. So um, so the, the readings are almost always fresh on our minds. And when there's like um, different saints days that are kind of significant to our family, or um, different events or stuff like that. We actually do talk about these things over lunch um, or just in different situations. So um, that, that's another part of it where it's just the, the readings themselves are kind of, they come up and I'm just used to kind of developing my own um, take and my own opinions about them as well. The other... Oh, thank you. The other um, aspect that I wanted to say, though, is that actually in my undergrad, I have a bachelor's in creative writing as well, um, and it's in poetry. So uh, probably as the stereotype goes, it's about efficiency of words, and that's um, that's been a lot of what we were what we practiced in um, in poetry. And I myself, my personal style is um, generally trying to constrain everything as as small as possible. Um, Although I say that now, after write, having written for a uh, forward day by day, um, I've been doing a bit more experimentation and a little bit more. Um, I've been a little bit more obsessed with a very tight um, poetry or very tight forms. Um, because I've been studying Chinese poetry, which is very constricted, you know, it only has 25 words um, in the most traditional form of, of Chinese poetry. And um, usually you focus just on one image. For me, that's been kind of an influence on my on my own personal writing at the moment. Um, but even before that, I was actually experimenting with lots of different forms. Um, I'd actually been trying to incorporate a, the Chinese um, style of having only 25 syllables in a poem um, with, a, with a strict writing rhyming structure of every line rhymes with each other. Um, I've, I, I've done different kind of experiments with that. Um, and I think that's kind of influenced um, kind of the, the um, trying to get into the, the word limit. So I guess that's, that's kind of the first thing. Um, if I were to talk a little bit more about the process, I think it's uh, kind of run of the mill. I let I write down. I'll, I'll just write down like a big, like a lot of different ideas. Um, it brings me back to to actually workshopping um, classes, um, my undergrad as well, where basically. Um, 
I remember this one time, there's this this um, this student who actually wrote a really long poem. It was probably like two pages long. And then afterwards, our teacher, she was just like, okay, the poem starts right around here. And she was pointing to like the last quarter of the poem. Um, so I, I, I kind of feel like that's kind of the process for me as well. I'll usually put out like a lot of different ideas onto the page. And then afterwards, um, sometimes it's like little strings of ideas that are slowly coming together. And then after they'll be like, okay, so I can draw from, you know, this word here, this phrase here, that paragraph there, and then kind of get rid of the, the rest. Or um, another one will be where, yeah, I'll have like three completely different ideas. And then after they'll see which one of the three do I feel like speaks most to me or which one can I actually kind of write about the most or, or kind of express um, in the best way possible. Um, and then, so that's basically been it is just kind of like writing out um, a huge draft and afterwards um, kind of tightening up over time. And then of course, the other part of it is working with um, editors from uh, forward movement as well. So kind of submitting the rough draft and afterwards getting a few notes here and there um, and kind of figuring that out. Um, now I will say that I uh, one of the uh, reflections, and I forgot which day it is exactly, um, I was able to write um, something that's a little bit more of a poem. And um, I forgot what the, what the technique is called, but basically it's um, where we have a repeated phrase at the, at, the, at the end of each line or at the end of each utterance. Um, it's very similar to the, um, to the Psalm, which says, you know, um, God's mercy endures forever. There's, I think that's what some, it's in the 130s or 140s. I forgot which one it is. Um, but I, I wrote something um, akin to that. Um, unfortunately, the space in the in the book doesn't allow for it to be um, indented the way that I wanted it to. But um, hopefully the poetry is still there where basically I said, um, God provides. And I'll list every single um, many different situations and end it with God provides. Um, that was my um, my more poetic uh, right. there. <laughs> yeah, I remember that meditation. It's really lovely. So... How do you think, uh, or what do you hope as readers encounter your words and your meditations? How do you hope that they respond? How do you, what do you hope that they get from them? I guess that's a, that's a bit diff difficult to think about. Um, I guess the, for me, a big reason why it's difficult to, to think about is because I, um, I mostly wrote for myself um, when writing um, these reflections. I was thinking a lot more like just, you know, what what are the things that kind of speak out to me and um, things like that. So I guess, uh, firstly, I guess it's sort of like, a, um, you know, how, you know, what does my voice sound like to you? Mm -hmm. um, I guess that, that's one way of thinking of it, or um, or I guess like one, one kind of um, interpretation. Another one, though, is um, to really think about, I, I really... Um, for me, one of the difficult things, one of the really difficult things um, has been for, like in the past year, um, especially because of, of the, the way that the different turn of events that have been happening, um, we've been having lots more um, issues of racism, classism, um, 
discrimination, um, poverty, all of these different um, issues have been coming to the fore now in in our common um, in our common spaces. And I think it's important. I've been feeling like it's more and more important to pay attention to those different issues because they do affect a lot of people. Um, and I hope that I'm able. I was able to bring forth a few more of those different ideas um, into my writing as well. I did write a lot from a perspective as a gay Latino um, in the Episcopal Church, um, which has been a very difficult experience, um, to say the least, um, from many different perspectives. And I think that it, I, I was hoping that I can at least kind of bring a few of those ideas into my writing, um, just because the, those are the things that I think about on a daily basis. Um, and there are things that I've been thinking about for most of my life as well. Um, I do like this, you know, I, I do remind people that, um, you know, people think that a lot of this stuff just started, you know, in 2020, but, you know, a, a lot of this stuff has been going on um, my whole life. Um, you know, I've experienced racism. Um, um, very early on, I've experienced classism very early on. I've experienced poverty and um, a lot of these different issues. Um, they've they've been um, very forward in, in my mind and um, just in my life experience as well. Um, so I think it's important to understand that basically what I'm writing from is is from that perspective and that's coming out into um, these into these reflections as well. Um, I was really appreciative that um, I didn't feel like I was being um, I, I didn't feel like I was being censored at all in my in the editing process, uh, which was something that I was actually a little bit um, nervous about because uh, I know that sometimes I can I can um, say some things that could be considered very problematic. Um, for um to be frank for for white people especially um i would say that you know it's we we do need to have diversity and we do need to have um you know a really a consideration for our neighbors for um the people that are different from us the people that believe differently than us the people that celebrate and observe differently than us the people that speak different languages and who have many different perspectives i think that's important to um be aware about um and i'm hoping that i that i'm able to get that idea across as well basically that um that we can be aware of people that are all around us absolutely well i think that your meditations will um, inspire people and challenge them sometimes uh, to to see the kingdom of god maybe in a new way and i'm really grateful for that you're also a younger author and uh, i wonder if you could speak about um how you feel the church, the church wide, you know, wider church responds and listens to um, people in their 20s and um, what can we do better? Sure. Uh, by the way, um, the audio might get a little bit affected by because there's a landscaper in our front yard right now. Um, so basically, it's I think it's kind of difficult um, to answer that question um, because I think it comes, it, it's from different perspectives. Um, and one of the things I used to say was basically that, um, at least for, so from a, um, for that comunidad Latina, it's very, usually it's, it's a pretty clear um, format. A, um, a child um, goes into the church because their family brings them in. 
And then after the child grows up until they're 18 or so, and then they either go off to school or they start a job or they start a career and then they leave the church until they get married and then they come back to the church usually in their 30s or 40s. And then they start the process again of bringing in children into the church. And after it's, it's that um, that same generational process. And so um, in, from a Hispanic perspective, um, there's actually a lot of, there, there's usually a big gap um, in terms of like activity and participation from uh, from young adults, especially like people that are my age. Um, now I will say I've been very fortunate here in, in Houston um, to have been um, brought up in a in a community that's been very big on formation, especially of, of leaders at all ages. Um, and you know, if you were to look at a lot of the um, the uh, Latinx people that are kind of in positions of leadership or in um, different positions around Houston, especially uh, many of us actually come from um, Iglesia Episcopal San Mateo. Uh, we all were kind of formed in the same way. We were all kind of um, brought up together and we all kind of, uh, we had a community basically that we all grew up together in um, before we went off to start working in a lot of these different, um, mostly Latino, but also we have a few people that are working in um, some of the other congregations as well. Um, for example, one of my friends, she's working in the cathedral um, in downtown. We have another one that's working in another big church. Then we have somebody that's working in the, we have two that are working in the diocesan offices as well. So, um, so I guess uh, one thing is just that um, we have a very small community, um, you know, this Latinx um, population of millennials um, here in Houston, but I think also just, just in general, um, it's very difficult to kind of find that. Um, I find that probably in, um, for other ethnicities or other uh, races, there's um, kind of different, um, different participation um, from different people. Um, what I'm finding for um, millennials, I guess, sort of in a broader context in the Episcopal Church, uh, the people that do participate usually um, make a conscious effort to be in the church. Um, and I think that's a that's a really big difference between um, a lot of millennials and a lot of older um, Episcopalians. Um, for um, a lot of the millennials that I know that are actually in the church, almost always speak out, um, no matter how introverted they might be. I have one uh, one friend who's uh, very introverted, does not like to speak up. They are very um, to themselves, um, to themselves all the time, um, but. Uh, you know, in any time that, that an issue comes up that would speak to them, they would actually speak up as well. They would um, share on social media. They would actually reach out to different um, Episcopalians or different people in the Episcopal Church um, and really try to get their ideas out there and also get um, try to really find some reasoning or some ideas as well to kind of have that conversation. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really important thing because um, for millennials, um, at least for me, in a, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an artist. Um, I'm a performing artist. I'm a musician. Um, I find myself in my, myself in a lot of different uh, circles of of mostly performers and musicians. Um, you know, th this um, anti-religious, like anti-theism, anti-religion, um, atheism, I don't think atheism is the right word for it because a lot of times people are more agnostic at the very least. Um, that's that's very strong and that's usually assumed for everybody that's in our communities. And to to be a Christian is to basically come out 
as well in a certain extent, um, especially in, in, in the world of the arts um, and then especially in the gay community as well, which has been so harmed and continues to be harmed by, um, by religion. Um, and, you know, honestly, the, 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 the Episcopal church has harmed um, the gay community just this, this weekend uh, with having Max Locato preaching in the national cathedral and um, having people defending that decision. Um, that's been a very strong um, attack against the LGBT community. And these are the things that, that a lot of gay people will see. And they're just like, why are you part of that church? Why are you a Christian? Why would you um, subject yourself to that kind of torture? Um, and I think that's where basically this perspective of having a millennial, um, a gay millennial uh, Christian is um, can be very challenging. And it's also a really important thing um, to kind of think about our perspective as well. We choose very specifically to be in this church. And as a result, we have very strong opinions and very strong ideas of where uh, we need for things to be going. Um, you know, we I, I think that um, that a lot of millennials don't respond well to, um, you know, these sermons that are filled with platitudes. I don't think that there's uh, millennials respond well to music that has no meaning behind it. Um, to basically a tradition that is done just for tradition's sake. I find that a lot of millennials are really looking for reasoning um, for a lot more um, fulfillment in their church experience. And I think that's something that, um, I, I think that's something that, that um, the Episcopal Church especially needs to pick up on as well. Um, I find that one of the interesting things I'm, I'm very, um, I, I can get very nerdy about like um, about like historical perspectives as well. Um, historically, up until maybe the the 30s or 40s, um, the Episcopal Church, uh, from its conception, you know, as a break off of the Anglican of the Church of England, basically, and then after it says slowly kind of developing from its pro-slavery um, beginnings, and then after it's from kind of trying to reconcile not being a major slave um, a slave owner's church anymore. Um, you know, it's kind of changed in lots of perspectives and so like that. And then right with the publish, right, right around the publishing of like the 1929 um, prayer book, it kind of got calcified to a certain extent. And then afterwards with the hymnal 1940s, the music tradition got kind of calcified as well. And basically you had this tradition of a transforming and a responding church, a church that would respond to different stimuli, to different problems, to different issues. And then all of a sudden it became a church that stands for tradition, you know, this sort of like, we're only gonna hold on to something that's really old. And then all of a sudden in the seventies, when you have this Vatican council coming through, then all of a sudden everybody wanted to change their perspective again. Then we started getting new music. Then we started getting new prayers and stuff like that. After the, um, the 1979 prayer book was published that was it again and now we're finding we, we have so many huge fights um finding that um people can't stand the idea of there being any liturgical reform at all um you know it's very difficult we have um we're, we're in such an international uh uh, community now we have such an international attention and we have so many different um, perspectives different ethnicities different cultures that are coming into the church and we don't want to acknowledge them um, I wonder why in Houston for example we don't have a Chinese church why don't we have a Vietnamese church uh, the Vietnamese population is the largest in the United States and yet we don't have a Vietnamese church here um, the Chinese population is, is quite substantial not as big as um, California or New York but it still is one of the 
biggest populations we have here in the United States. Why don't we have a Chinese church here? Um, even for um, for Latina churches as well, why don't we have more of them? We have tons of of Latin uh, communities that have come in over the past uh, thirty or forty years um, for many different reasons. Why don't we have more of them here? Um, why don't we have many more priests that are brought up from our Latin communities? Why don't we have support or scholarships for those that are still going through discernment to actually go to um, seminary and to actually start leading? Um, you know, these people who are actually called to be leaders. Um, a lot of times it's for financial reasons that they can't actually um they, they can't actually afford going into seminary to um to kind of you know leave everything else behind and to be able to um start this new chapter to respond to their calling. Um so I, I think that it's just really important that um you know, the, the church needs to to listen to the voices more as opposed to just hold on to old money, old traditions and old, um, you know, just old ideas for the sake of ideas. Um, I think that's that's a, a major perspective. Well, I really appreciate your time with us today and also your offering of your gifts through your writing for Forward Day by Day. Is there anything else that you would want to add today? Um, no, not really. I think I, I think I kind of um, put a lot of my ideas out there with um, talking a little bit more about 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 being, you know, a millennial in in, right. in church. Um, but I, I think that's an important thing. Just um, I think that we all need to speak up more in general. Um, nothing happens if we don't speak up. Uh, nothing happens if we don't um, if we don't point out what's actually um, what's actually happening um, before us. If we uh, keep everything in silence, there's nothing that's going to happen. You know, um, one of the things right now is um, in our gospel readings for the past several weeks, we've had uh, different miracles. And in the gospel of Mark, particularly, you know, Jesus says, don't don't tell anybody about this. If we didn't have the bold um the bold um, um, people who were healed, if we didn't have these people that were bold enough to share their experience and to proclaim the gospel, um, there might not be a Christian church today. There might not be the words of Jesus written down. There might not be the Jesus story or the Jesus movement that would be in existence today. And I think in the same way, we need to learn from that, from those experiences and from those examples and continue on this tradition of sharing the good news and of sharing this radical love of Jesus in our lives. I think that's the perfect way to end our conversation. And, and again, I'm thankful for your willingness to be a witness to the Jesus movement and to the way of love and to being a part of the forward movement community. So thank you, Ellis. It's been great talking with you today. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.